Good morning, Colorado Life Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. good. Okay, let's try it one more time. That was good for the first round, but I'm going to try it again. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. good. Awesome. Well, I am John Bowsman, and I'm excited to be here in the house with you guys again today. As you just heard, today's topic is on unemployment. What to do when you lose your work. It's week four in a series called On the Clock, and if you miss any of the past weeks, you can find them online at coloradolifechurch.com. We talked about work in general, about how we were designed to work, and then we talked about vocational stewardship, and then horrible bosses. Maybe you've had some, maybe some of us have been them, I don't know, but it's possible. But today we're going to be talking about unemployment. And the last time that I was here, there was a very special thing happening. And I was very sad to see it go. The last time I was here, we were in the midst of the Winter Olympics. And I don't know about you guys, but I am like obsessed with the Olympics, right? When it comes around, I am glued to the TV. I am like Sanka from like Cool Runnings. I'm like, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling very Olympic today. Like that's, <laughs> that's it, all right? That's how I feel. And so I am glued to the TV. And there are events that I had no idea ever existed, right? But I am there, and I'm watching it, and in 10 seconds, I am a couch expert, right? I know everything that they should be doing, everything that they shouldn't be doing. I'm like, dude, you totally should have pulled a triple sow cow double hamel there. Like, <laughs> everybody knows that. Come on. And, but there's also, if I'm honest, a part of me, too, that feels somewhat inadequate. You know what I mean? You're watching this. I'm watching a 17-year-old girl win gold in the snowboard halfpipe, and I'm sitting there on the couch eating wings and drinking a beer. You know what I mean? I'm like, man, what am I doing right now? I mean, I wouldn't change it. This is great, but hey. <laughs> my mom actually called me because I'm a snowboarder. She called me after Sean White won the gold, okay? My mom calls me, and she's like, hey, did you, did you see Sean White win the gold? I'm like, yeah, mom, of course I saw Sean White win the gold. I wouldn't miss that. And she's like, oh, well, can you do anything that Sean White can do? I'm like, no, mom, not a thing, not a darn thing. And a friend of mine was like, dude, that's not true. You can totally put your bindings on and go down the hill. I mean, that's like 2% right there. It's like a very generous 2%, but hey, I'll take it. So what's interesting, though, to me about the Olympics is we get to see people in their finest moments, right? We get to see them take the podium and win that gold, that silver, or that bronze. But for so many people, that is not how it ends. For so many people, they come to the Olympics, and they don't even get to the medal stand. And there's a part of me that thinks about this as I watch it, about how many people not only didn't even make it to the medal stand, how many people didn't even make it to the Olympics at all? That they put in just as much hard work, just as much sacrifice, and want it just as bad, but they didn't make the cut. They didn't make it. I cannot imagine dedicating more than like two weeks to something like that, but let alone my entire life and working towards this thing and then suddenly not making it to getting cut. How many of you guys in the room today can relate to that feeling, right? Show, I even saw a show of hands. I wasn't even going to ask it, but in the spirit of all of us feeling better about it, let's show that we're not alone. How many of you guys have ever felt something like that? Pretty much every single hand in the room. That's awesome. We're not alone in that feeling. Because maybe you felt it at your work. Maybe you're working hard and you just can't seem to get ahead. Maybe you're a student and you applied to get into that dream school or that dream program. 
and you didn't get in. Or maybe you're an athlete and you didn't make the team, or maybe you did make it, but an injury sidelines you. Or maybe you walk into work one day and you unexpectedly lose your job. Maybe you're like me, and you can relate to that one. You see, for me, several months ago, I was in that exact same moment and that exact same experience. I was at a job, and it was a couple months in, and the company wasn't doing so great, but I was working hard. I was first in, I was last out, and if I'm honest, guys, I did not like that job. Like, this series would have been great for my soul to just remind me of the truths that the Bible has to say about work, but I did not like it. And then I walked in one day on a Tuesday for my one-on-one with my boss, and there's HR sitting right there. And I sit down, and a very short conversation that was very callous in nature, all I was told was, this is not going to be a fun conversation. Today is your last day. Here's your check. I'll walk you to your desk to get your personal belongings. And asking, like, why is this happening? Like, what, what's the reason behind this? Because this is unprecedented. There was not something leading up to this. And it was, well, we, we just don't think you're a good fit. And so then I had to walk to my office with a box and filling that out with my personal belongings, not only just walk out of that office with everyone around knowing exactly what just happened, but then I had to make the long walk home. Walking down downtown in the middle of the day, holding that box, knowing that every single person that I was passing by would see me and know exactly what just happened. Maybe you're like me, and you can relate to that. Or maybe you know someone that has gone through something like that, and you can relate to that. Now, normally when we look in the Bible, I would prefer to talk on one passage of Scripture. And in thinking about, well, what would I say about this spirit or this act of unemployment? Like, what happens in it? What encouragement would I give? There's a number of things we could talk about. We could talk about being a good financial steward of your money, right? And how you need to prepare for a season like that. And that'd be true. We could talk about how you need to live in community with one another. And in a moment like that, you need to press into that community more than anything because your inclination is going to be to close up. and You need to do the exact opposite. We could talk about that. But in thinking about what would be the one thing after I went through this, that was the hardest, that ripped me to my core, that would be the most impactful that I could possibly hear from someone else who has gone through that similar season, it would be this. It would be the fact of when you go through that, you lose your sense of hope and you begin to doubt your sense of worth. You begin to lose hope and you begin to doubt your sense of worth. We're going to do something a little differently when we're looking inside the Bible today. We're going to look at two stories, and we're going to try and see what we can glean from them, and as they speak and relate to those two topics, this topic of hope and this topic of worth. 
Now, admittedly today, folks, this is going to be a little hard because not only am I preaching this, but I'm preaching from a personal experience of pain and struggle and hardship. Then putting this together, I had to go back to a place that, quite frankly, I did not want to go. If you've ever experienced something like that, it's a moment and experience that you just want to shut the door, lock it, throw away the key, and move on. But I believe in the core of who I am that God can use it. God can use it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's do this. Let's go ahead and let's just kick off in a time of prayer real quick. Father God, we just pray for this time right now that you would just be present. We know, Lord, that you are, and we stand on that truth. There were two or more gathered, there you are. And in this midst, God, we just pray that you would speak, that it wouldn't be my words or anyone else's, but it would be your words that you would speak to the people and the preacher alike. And that walking out of here today, Lord, that whether it's someone in this room or someone else that needs to hear it, that you would speak loudly and you would speak life into the spirit of hope and to the spirit that we have worth. And we ask this in your son's beautiful and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This first part that we're going to talk about, this first story, I want to summarize it by saying this phrase. There is hope in the hardship. There is hope in the hardship. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about a man that is known for his successes, but do not close it off. Wait a moment, okay? Because we're going to talk about his successes, but that's not what we're going to focus on, okay? We're not going to focus on that, but we want to tell you some of the things that he is most well-known for. He is part of some of the most well-known pieces of literature in all history. He spoke boldly to rulers of his time, the most powerful person of the age. He freed and liberated an entire nation of people, and he got to experience the most incredible phenomena that we've recorded in the Bible. It's an amazing success story when you look at it at the end. But his name is Moses. And I want to talk not on his last part of his life. He lived to be 120 years old. And the 40 years, the last 40 years of his life is what everybody focuses on. It's that list of success stories. But I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the first 80. I want to focus on the preamble. The part that, quite frankly, is messy, it's full with radical change, and gosh, is it filled with doubt, and it's filled with this feeling of not worth it, and that's what I want to focus on. And his story can be found in the book of Exodus. It's at the very beginning of it. It's the second book of the Bible. And what's interesting about his story is that it's kind of broken into three different parts that I want us to look at. You see, For him, he is most well-known for the Ten Commandments, right? And it's something that you can see on the outside of courthouses today and places of law. He's known for speaking boldly to Pharaoh, the leader of the time. And, And not only did he speak boldly to him and had a huge request, but he lived to tell the tale. He freed these people called the Israelites, and he led them out of slavery because they were slaves to the Egyptians, And then he got to see some really cool stuff. 
He got to part the Red Sea. And then he got to spend time with these people in the desert for a very long time. And they experienced miracles. It's an incredible story. But the first 80 years of that 120-year life, it's a crazy show. And that's what we're going to talk about. You see, Moses' backstory is interesting to understand who he is. Moses is born an Israelite. And as I just said, those Israelites are slaves to the Egyptians. And he enters into this time of mass genocide. I know, it's a great way to start a sermon, right? You're going in the story, and that's what you're talking about. But God can use it. God can use something as horrible, as terrible as that, because what happens is Moses' biological mother puts him in a basket and sets him down the Nile River in hopes that he'll be safe, in hopes that his life would be spared. What's interesting then is a twist happens, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and then she chooses to raise him as his own. He grows up in the house of Pharaoh in what would be the royal family of the time, having every single opportunity, having every single aspect that anyone could dream of at the time. And he does this for 40 years. And then he realizes, he has this moment where he finds out that he is himself an Israelite. The very people that are enslaved, the very people that essentially he and his family are ruling over and enslaving, he's one of them. And then as he's walking around one day, he comes across an Egyptian soldier. And that soldier is beating an Israelite. And he intervenes. And he kills the soldier. He becomes a murderer. And then he flees. He runs away. And he becomes a fugitive. And he spends the next 40 years of his life in the desert as a shepherd. And not only that, folks, I'm just going to point this out. He's a shepherd for his father-in-law. I don't know why. I just want to point that out. But that just, for me, that's just like the extra kicker. You're like, darn. Oh, man. Working for daddy. All right. Cool. Really doing well here, Moses. Right? But he spends the next 40 years in the desert as a shepherd with a whole lot of time on his hands to think about, to dwell upon, and to brew on everything that has just happened. What's interesting about his rise and his fall is that Moses was a part of the royal family, the aristocracy, so to speak, of the age. His role was at the top. You pretty much almost couldn't get a whole lot higher than where he was than to be Pharaoh himself, right? So when you're talking about roles, when you're talking about responsibilities, when you're talking about his job, he's at the top level. He's part of the executive team. And then he goes all the way to what's called, at the time, the bottom. He becomes a shepherd. Now at the time, being a shepherd was pretty much what you would do if you couldn't do or you weren't capable of doing pretty much anything else. People were not lining up to become shepherds. Now, I want to be very clear about this. There is nothing wrong with being a shepherd. There's nothing wrong with it. Because not only does God meet him there, 
God needed him there. Not only does God meet him there, but God needed him there. And as you hear more of his story and how it comes to unfold, you're going to see why it was so important for Moses to be there as a shepherd in the desert. And so we enter this story, we enter this part where he's been in the desert for 40 years, and then he has this encounter with God. It's a wild, it's a crazy encounter, and they're having a conversation. And we're going to enter the middle of this conversation as they're dialoguing. They've started it off, and then God goes into this paragraph of thought. And that's where we're going to jump into the story now. So if you have your Bibles with us today, feel free to open them. You can turn to Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible, chapter 3. We're going to start here in verse 11. It's going to be up on the screen. If you have an app, feel free to open the app itself. If not, that's all right. We also have Bibles. If you don't have one, we'd be excited to give you one today. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 7. And it says this, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, the Egyptians. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And this is my favorite part. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I'm sorry, what? Like, you want me to do what? Like, if I'm Moses sitting there, I'm like, hey, you know, this is me. This is Moses you're talking to. Like, I'm the guy with a stick, and I smell a sheep and ram. Like, this is, this is not exactly the kind of guy that you want doing this kind of task, God. Like, I know that you're God of the universe here, but I think that you may be wrong on this one. So Moses responds to God by saying this. He says in verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who am I? Moses doubts. He doubts himself. He doubts his ability to do what God is saying that he can do, right? At this point, he has had 40 years to really dwell upon his personal failures. He went from the top to the bottom, and God is coming and saying, guess what? I can use you. I have a plan and I need you. And Moses is saying, I think you got the wrong guy. I I can't do this. 
And you see this full chapter of this conversation where Moses comes back with excuse after excuse after excuse, saying, I can't do that. Like, I'm not a very good speaker. There's no way I can do that. And God comes back every single time by saying, I'm going to be with you. And not only am I with you, but hey, give me another excuse. I'll give you another thing back. Like, cool, you're not a very good speaker. Your brother's going to go with you. What else you got? Right? And then eventually... It comes down to this point, and Moses can't say anything more, and he just gets straight to the point. It's in chapter 4, verses 13, and he says, But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please, send someone else. Those words get me. Please, send someone else. It's as if you can hear the despair in his voice when you read those words. That the very end of it, after God is saying, I'm going to do everything possible for you. I'm going to be with you through this all. He even shows him some incredible things in that very moment. And Moses is like, could you just please send someone else? Anyone else? Look at me. Look at who I am. I can't do this. I'm not built for this. I'm not made for this. I'm the wash up. I'm the guy that was up here and now I'm down here. I'm a murderer. I'm a fugitive. I don't have anything to bring to the table. And God's like, no, no. I can use this. I can use this. Because we enter then the part of Moses' story that he is most well known for. If you were to make a resume and you were to put down everything for Moses that you're like, man, this is, this is top of the line. This is the resume of all time. These are the things that you're putting down. The last 40 years, the ones that we covered, his greatest hits, the Ten Commandments, pardon the Red Sea, liberating his people, all of that. But I'm not so sure that he could have been prepared for the last 40 years of his life if it weren't for the first 80 years of his life. The preamble. And here's the hard part. We know how Moses' story is going to end. We can read it from start to finish. But Moses doesn't know that. He has no idea that on 79 years, 364 days, he has no idea that things are about to change. That the complete life that he's lived is going to be redeemed in a way unimaginable to him. He has no idea. Which is an encouragement to us in the middle of our stories, in the middle of our moment to remind ourselves of that truth, right? that as we're in the middle of it, we don't know how God's going to use it either. So we enter this moment of Moses' greatest hits, and he ends up going to Pharaoh. And we begin to see how the first 80 years are used in a powerful way for the last 40. Because someone is going to have to go to Pharaoh and ask him to free the Israelites. Who better to go ask Pharaoh than someone who knows him personally, than someone that knows his temperament, that knows his behavior, that knows what's going to set him off, who knows how to talk to him, who better to do that than his own 
brother, Moses. Moses is coming in with a big ask. He is approaching Pharaoh and asking for his entire labor force to be freed. Moses grew up in the royal family, so to speak. He had the royal education. He had an education that very few people have. He knows exactly the gravity of the ask. He understands the political impact it's going to have, the economical impact it's going to have, the social impact it's going to have. He understands it in a way that very few people probably would have. So then Moses takes the Israelites and they get out of Egypt. We fast forward, they go through, through the parting of the Red Sea, and they're supposed to, if you do the math, if you look on a map, it's about a 10-day journey. That's all this is supposed to take. But stuff happens. Some really gnarly stuff happens, and they are forced to wander in the desert for 40 years. And so Moses is now responsible for these people. He is supposed to take care of these people. He is supposed to be a shepherd unto these people as they wander in the desert for 40 years. I don't know what qualifications would set you up well for being a shepherd unto people in the desert for 40 years, but I think being a shepherd in the desert for 40 years is a pretty good start. I think that's a good way to begin that, right? So we see that throughout all of this, not only could God use it, but God used it. He used it. You see, God looks at things differently. He plays the long-term game. He plays the eternal game because as we talked about earlier, Moses doesn't know how his story is going to end. He doesn't know that God's going to show up and say, guess what, all this stuff, I'm going to use it. He has no idea. He has no clue. So why does this story give us hope? Why does this particular story give us hope today? You heard me talk about Moses' rise out of nowhere, out of escaping mass genocide to the aristocracy of the time, all the way to go to the bottom. And then he becomes a liberator. His jobs are fluctuating throughout this entire story. His work is fluctuating throughout this entire story. And we see that God uses it, that there's hope in that. But let's be honest. This topic of unemployment, this idea of losing your work and impacting your sense of hope, Losing your work is not the only time that we feel like that. Losing your work is not the only way that you may lose hope, that you may struggle with having hope. I don't know what it's like in your life right now. I don't know if you're facing something hard. It could be something in your family. It could be something in your friends. It could be something inside. But the beautiful part about Moses' story is that it shows that God is a redeemer. That whatever is happening in your life, whatever has happened, whatever is happening, whatever has been said, God can use it. God can use it. 
There is nothing that has been done, nothing that has said that is outside of God's realm, God's ability to do something with, to make something new. That is God's business. He's all about the business saying, I'm doing something new. I'm going to redeem that. I'm going to recycle that. I'm going to show you that. Because I assure you, if you're sitting here today, that your expiration date hasn't hit. You are not washed up. You are not at a point where you can essentially just say like, man, I'm past that point, never turn. God can't use me. Because if you're alive, if you're still breathing, I am telling you that God is not done using you yet. And even then, I want to tell you something that your impact passes past that point. Amen? Now, I keep using this phrase that God can use it. I didn't tell anybody this until I started working on this sermon. But that phrase, that phrase, God can use it, I used to say that to myself. When I was going through my season of unemployment, when I was hitting those really hard moments, whether they were waking up early in the morning and can't fall back asleep, or throughout the day, or late at night, and I would just have to close my eyes and audibly say over myself, God can use this. God can use this. And the reason why I had to say that over myself is because there was another voice speaking over me. There was another voice speaking over me, and it was saying, you are a failure. You're a failure. And the longer that you sit there and you listen to that voice, the harder it is to have hope. And the longer you sit there and hear that voice, the more it sinks in, and you begin to believe it, and you begin to doubt your own worth. You begin to doubt your own worth. Now, I don't know what any of you guys are going through at this current moment. I don't know if this can relate to you, but I'm here to tell you this truth, and it's an interesting part as we go into our second point. This is the second point that I want to focus on, and it's this idea that your worth is so much more than your work. Your worth is so much more than your work. Worth can be a tricky thing when you think about it. How do you define worth? We often define worth in this way. We often define it in the sense of something's value is established by what am I willing to give and then get in exchange for something. You're willing to part with something because you see the value and worth in what you are getting in return. Am I right? Now, let me ask this question. Does someone have a watch on today? If so, thank you for moving it for daily savings time. But is anyone wearing a watch today? Okay, perfect. What's your name, ma'am? Don Elise. It's nice to meet you, Don Elise. Don Elise, what is this? Uh, $20 bill. $20 bill. How much is a $20 bill worth? whatever you can get for it. Let me ask you this. Would you give me your watch for $20? No. 
what would you say if I threw in another $20 bill? Make that $40. How about $400 for that watch? (laughs) Done, right? Absolutely done in this part. Because you see the value of like, man, I see the value in $400 way more than this watch. I'm going to make that exchange, right? Thank you, darlings. Do we have any parents in the house with kids? Show of hands. Awesome. What's your name, ma'am? Jan. Jan, it's nice to meet you, Jan. Now, I am not rumpled stiltskin. I need to be clear about that. But would you part with any of your kids for $20? <laughs> you said they're all laughing because they know my kids. Ah! They're like, no, keep jacking the price up. It's fine. There's a price point there. So probably no. You'd say no at 20 bucks. How about 200 Mmm. How about 2000 No. That's fair. That's fair. So what you're saying is that no price that we can agree upon, that we could ever see, that you would see the worth and value in that exchange. That you would not part with your kids for the world. You sound like a pretty good mom. I'll take that. Now, I don't know about any of you in the room about what you're feeling about your own sense of worth right now, regardless if it has to deal with unemployment or not, regardless if it has to deal with something else happening in your life. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know how you feel about yourself and the value that you have and the worth that you have. But I want to share the second story with you. And it's a story that is probably familiar to many of you, and it's a very short one. It can be found in a book called John, and it takes place at the very beginning of it. And it simply says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That word world, it means everyone. It means everyone. It's not the best. It's not the top athletes. It's not the bottom of anything. It's every single person. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his one and only son. God looks at you and he sees worth and he sees value. God looks at you, and he sees worth, and he sees value, that he would give up his one and only son just to have you back, just to have the chance of having a relationship with you. God's willing, and was willing, and is willing to make that exchange because he sees the value and worth in you. Because not only Not only does it mean that he would do it, that he would do it for the world, but God, this is the big point that I want you to see with this one. Not only does he believe that you have worth, God believes that you are worth it. Not only does God believe that you have worth, but God believes that you are worth it. Some of you may not be feeling that right now. I get it. I've been in a season where, man, it'd be really hard for someone to speak that into me. 
I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your relationship is, even with your parents, to use that analogy. But I can tell you this, that when your Heavenly Father, when the creator of the entire universe looks at you and sees value and sees worth, that means something. That means something big. And it may not happen this moment. You may not be able to hear these words of truth and for it to impact your life right now. But it may not be today. But I hope that that knowledge, that that truth, that you are worth it, sinks into your heart. That nothing that you're going through can take that away from you. You see, I've been able to have some great moments with your pastor, Josh. Now, I've really grown to know and love the person that God has put and entrusted over this church and the people that are in it. And I was sitting in his office one night, and we were just talking, and he told me this story. He said there was a woman. She's not from Colorado, and she was up here with a guy, and they were driving in a car, and they came into a dispute. And he kicked her out of the car, and he drove away. She was alone. She had absolutely nothing with her. And she felt hopeless. She felt hopeless. So she went to Walmart. And Walmart called this church. And I want to take a side note that any time you're in a community where a place like that, when someone is in need and they share it and you're the place that they call, That is a wonderful place to be, church. And that speaks so highly and well of you and the body that is here. And so they called this church, and people from this church came, and they responded, and they showed up. They took care of her, they provided for her, and they bought her a bus ticket home. And she shows up. She shows up to the bus station, and shortly before she gets on the bus, bus ticket in hand, That same guy that kicked her out of the car shows up. Instead of getting on the bus and going home, she gets back in the car with him and drives away. And I remember talking with your pastor, Josh, and someone asked him the question. They said, man, does that feel like a waste? Like you bought that bus ticket. You bought that bus ticket, and she didn't even take it. She got back in the car with him. She went back to that. And I love his response. I love his response. He says, "Mm, no, it wasn't a waste. She may not realize it then, but maybe the third bus ticket that's bought for her, maybe then, Maybe then she will see and realize her worth. Maybe then she'll realize that she is worth it. Maybe then. Regardless of what you may feel right now, regardless of where you may be at, that love that we talked about, that for God so loved the world, that for God so loved you, You can't be separated from that. No matter what has happened, no matter what is going to happen, you can't be separated from that. There's an author in the Bible that put it this way. 
and I absolutely love it. He writes this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of that. Employment, unemployment, you got into school, you didn't get into school, you made the team, you didn't make the team. Can't separate you from that. Because here's the big idea as we wrap up. Here's the big idea. That when it comes down to it, this experience of losing work, of unemployment, here's the big idea. You were designed to work but you are not defined by your work. You were designed to work, but you are not defined by your work. Because no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you're experiencing, there is hope in the hardship. God can use it. And your worth is so much greater than your work. Because to Jesus Christ, he not only believes in your worth, but he believes that you are worth it. And he bet his life on it. For you and for me. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you right now and we just praise and thank you for being a God that loves us. That no matter where we're at in our life, no matter where we've been, no matter where we're going, that love, we can't be separated from that. Nothing can separate us from the love that is in Jesus Christ. Father God, we just pray that right now, whoever may be in the room, if someone is experiencing right now a feeling of loss of hope or a feeling of hopelessness or a feeling of worthlessness, God. I just pray that you would speak into their hearts, that you would affirm and love them, lavish over them the truth that you, God, you love them. That there's hope in whatever hardship they're going through, that you can use it and that they have worth. Worth beyond words, that you would send your only son to die for them, just so that you could have the chance to be in relationship with them. Father God, we love you. We give you all the praise and thanks and glory in your son's beautiful and powerful and wonderful name. Amen. Uh, let's stand and continue in our time of praise and worship.